From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and you know what? I, this time, am in a certain kind of mood. This is Duke Ellington, and this is a cut called Warm Valley. Listen to Duke Ellington and the Warm Valley. This is Johnny Hodges playing the saxophone. That sounds just like a warm valley, doesn't it? And Ellington was naughty with his titles. He didn't mean a warm valley as some sort of geographical formation. And along those lines, on this show, we're going to talk about men and women and, and well, not that, not exactly sex, but I'm, I'm in this strange mood and we are going to talk about men and women as words. And that is man, men. Women, women, child, children. What is it with those words? English and the irregular plurals and the way they seem to cluster around things like family members and farm animals. Just what? What is that? Well, you know, there are a lot of interesting stories there. And, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm in a mood. Let's start with this word man. And not because men are men, but you'll see that it's handy if we start with the men. You go back to Old English and the truth is, here's your first fun fact. The word for man in Old English was where. And you're thinking, well, what's that? Well, think about werewolf. So werewolf is a man and a wolf. Well, werewolf. So man, where, and then woman was weef. That's our wife word now, but woman in general was weef. But this word man just meant person. So they did have man. It was pronounced mon back then, but that meant human being, person. It was gender neutral. And we still have remnants of that when we say something like mankind or manslaughter. It's not that those words were created with a sense that they only applied to male people. You can think especially with manslaughter. Why would you mean that? It was that when those words were created, man still had the meaning of, if you will, human. But since then, man has specialized. We call this semantic narrowing. And it doesn't mean just person, but it means a male person. But then the question is, why the irregular plural? So, for example, you know, broom, brooms, fox, foxes, man, mans. Why is it men? Who, who planned that? You know, nobody would plan that. You put a language together, you come up with a conlang, you're going to come up with some sort of way of marking the plural that's at least fairly regular. And you're not going to then bake in unless you're a really good conlanger and you're trying to make your language like the way languages actually are. But if you're trying for order and we have to at least pretend, you're not going to have the plural of man be men. Why that? How'd that happen? Well, it's actually, it's an interesting story. It happens via a series of accidents and then you wake up one morning and your language has a kink in it. Think of it this way. We go back to... English that is such early English that it's not English. We're going back to what linguists call Proto-Germanic, and that is the ancestor of the, depending on how you count it, about 15 Germanic languages, of which German, big surprise, is one. And then there's Dutch and Swedish and Norwegian and Afrikaans, and there's Icelandic and Faroese, and of course, good old English. Oh, and remember Frisian from rather a lot of shows ago. So the Germanic group. But Proto-Germanic was the ancestor. So before all those languages existed, they were their father or mother language 
Proto-Germanic. We don't know what its speakers called it, but we can reconstruct what that language would have been like. And in that language, man would have meant person. And there were many ways of making a plural in Proto-Germanic. Think about Italian, for those of you who've taken Italian, and so you have E for the masculine and A for the feminine and other things that happen. Well, as it happens, in Proto-Germanic, one way that you would make something plural, other than putting an S after it, was to use E, the sound E. So the plural of man was not mans or manas or something like that. It was mani. That's how you said man. So singular, man, plural, mani. So that's the way it was at a certain slice in time. Now, if you say money enough times, what happens is a kind of anticipation. This is something that happens sometimes when you flub linguistically. And so you're going to say something like a book block and you might accidentally say a book block because you feel the l coming up in the second word. Well, in the same way, if you say money a lot, the ah is going to start drifting closer to the e. And so actually, if you play around with these sounds in your mouth, what's closer to the E in between the A and the E is E. So A moves up to E, and that means that it's in between E. You can go A, E, E, and notice that you're going up front. E is in between. So say Mani enough, and it's not you as an individual, but over many, many, many generations, Mani is said enough. Pretty soon, Mani might become many because you're anticipating saying the E, and so you get closer to it when you say the A, many. So we're at stage two now, where the singular word is man, and the plural word is many. So not only do you put this E at the end, but you have to change the vowel many. Now, imagine more generations go by, and I mean a whole lot of them, and you know, stuff has a way of dropping off of the ends of words. And so for example, what musical is that? Don't worry, I'm not going to play anything from it. That's West Side Story. I did not say West Side Story. I said West Side Story. The T dropped off of the West. That's the way everybody says West Side Story, unless they're so careful that they probably are too neurotic to leave their house to go see it. So West, as often as not, we say Wes. It's because the ends are delicate. It's like split ends on certain kinds of hair. So over time, you're saying man, many. But after a while, that many is probably going to become just men. And so then you have stage three, where singular man is man. Then plural man is just men. That's how it got that way. Now, all of this would have happened with nobody knowing anything about writing except for a high remote elite. It's not that anybody who was saying mon men knew about a time when the language had it as mon money. These things happen bit by bit by bit. But next thing you know, your language has a little hole in it. And so mon or man, as we now say it, and then men. That's how that kind of thing works. That is called, for those of you who like terminology, that is called umlaut or specifically e umlaut. And that's when a vowel turns like that because of the influence of another vowel. And that created all sorts of things in our language that are strangely irregular or even annoying or things you don't think much about. So for example, let's say that I fall from a tree and so I'm angry at the tree and so I decide to chop it down. This is like something that would happen in a Looney Tune. And so I decide I'm going to fell the tree. Well, obviously there's a relationship between falling and felling. But why is it that you just have that vowel change? There's actually a reason. If you had that Looney Tunes situation in Proto-Germanic, and so Frodo falls out of a tree and he gets mad and so he chops it down. Fall was fallon. Yeah, who cares? 
But to make something fall down, to fell a tree, was falian, falian. So there's that e again. As time goes by, the endings drop off, so falan becomes fal. Falian becomes fali, but then you've got the ah coming before the e, and it becomes an a sound. And so fell, then the e drops off, and you've got fell. So falian, felli, fell. That's why you have fall and fell. So those things are remnants of previous complications. That's how you get ridiculous plurals like that. You know, umlaut is what the people who wrote I Love Lucy called the sound that Lucy would make when something awkward happened. Remember this sound? <laughs> In the scripts, they would call that sometimes the spider sound, and sometimes they would call that the umlaut. That's actually how I first learned the word umlaut, because, of course, when I was 10 years old, not having much else to do, I was reading about I Love Lucy. So that's how I learned umlaut. So now you know it, too. So what about... Woman, women, woman, women. Why? <laughs> Why, men? Why is that? The original word that we now know as woman was weefman. So not wife man, but that meant woman person. Weefman. Say weefman enough and it's going to become weeman. At first, you have singular weeman, and that's from female person, weeman. And then the plural is women, because there's man and men. So women, women. Now, man and men both don't have the accent, and so things are going to get muddy, and pretty soon both of them are pronounced women. And so there's a women, one women standing there, you know, with an umbrella, and then here's a bunch of women. And there are words like that. So, for example, one sheep, three sheep, well, one women, three women. It happens. But then over time, the singular women started changing. And so you started saying not women, but woman, because wo is something that falls naturally from a W. W's have a way of screwing things up in that way all over languages all over the world. So if you say women a lot over time, there's a chance it's going to become woman because of what the W did. Now, that happened only in the singular, maybe because people used the singular more, but that meant that now the singular was woman, woman as we pronounce it now, and the plural just stayed the way it was as women. And so the singular is something that happened later. The plural is the way both of them were before. So we went from one women and six women to one woman and six women. It started out as wife man, but what that meant was a woman person, a female person. It didn't mean a wife to a man. You know, I'm thinking now of a man and a woman together. Cole Porter kind of suits that mood. This is a song that never gets around enough. It's a duet of his that's very cute. It's called Cherry Pies Ought to Be You. And these are two people singing it who are in, you know, the style of 1950. But, you know, that's just the way it was. This musical is called Out of This World. It was a failure and it didn't quite deserve to be. This is Cherry Pies Ought to Be You. Listen to them loving each other in lyric. Cherry pies ought to be you. Autumn skies ought to be you. Mr. Pulitzer's prize ought to be you. Columbine ought to be Sparkling you. Sparkling wine 
ought to be you. All of Beethoven's nine ought to be you. Shakespeare line ought to be you. You are so enticing, I'm starting to shake. You are just the icing to put on my cake. To continue, heaven's blue ought to be you. Heaven too ought to be you. Everything super do ought to be you. French perfumes ought to be you. Texas boom. Ought to be you. Early Egyptian tombs ought to be Super you. Super chief drawing rooms ought to be you. Hot Don Juan ought to be you. Rita Khan ought to be you. Cupid with nothing on ought to be Lido without her swan ought to be you. So, men, women, then what about lady? You know what lady starts as? Starts as loaf maid. The original word is hlafdi. Laugh-dig. Laugh is loaf. D is made. And that doesn't help us today. You just have to accept it. But loaf made. Well, lafty becomes lafty. So English about 1200, where we would expect lady, it's lofty. And then the F drops out and you've got lady, 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 lady. So lady starts out as the loaf made. And of course, loaf refers to bread, but bread to an extent, could mean food in general. And so for better or for worse, the lady is somebody who is taking care of the loaves. And if there's any consolation, Lord is frankly even better. Lord starts out as Hlafwerd, Hlafwerd, the loaf ward. So he's the ward of the loaf. And so Hlafwerd becomes Lavard in the 1300s. You can see it on the page, Lavard. And it's easier to imagine that that would have started out as something like Lafward. But then Lavard becomes Lord. And so Lord, believe it or not, began as a compound. You know, it may have started as the Lafward and then became the Lafward. There almost certainly was a back shift way back in the midst of time. And so Lord begins as two words. This is one of the places that words come from when words smush together and they smush so thoroughly. You know, it's such a dastardly car wreck that you can't even tell where one car ends and the other car begins. That's what Lord was. And, you know, I'll bet some of you are wondering, well, if weef meant woman, then how did you say wife in Old English? And you know how you said you said queen. The word was queen back then, but queen was the original word for wife. And then queen extended into meaning somebody who is female and helps to run a kingdom and is presumably the wife of the king. So you never know how these words are going to evolve. And for whatever it's worth, husband, that, I'll bet you can tell now, that starts as a compound. Hus, yes, is house. And then bond meant roughly dweller. A husband was a house dweller. That was not the original Old English word. That is something that we, for some reason, borrowed from the Vikings when they came starting in 787 and settled in. We borrowed a lot of their Old Norse words, including very basic things like get, happy, and neck. When you listen to Judy Garland singing get happy, don't worry. Those two words are coming from the Vikings. And husband was another one of them. And then hubby is short for husband. I'm not sure if I ever fully knew that. I didn't think about it much because hubby is kind of a cloying word, but hubby is short for husband. And notice how just because of what we call sound symbolism, sound symbolism meaning that, for example, words beginning with GL tend to be about blink, like glimmer, glamour, glint. Words with ubby are always kind of cute. So like tubby, 
Tubby is a cute kind of word. Oh, he's kind of tubby. You kind of want to put your arms around that person. Or the same thing with chubby. You know, it's kind of cute. All ubby words are kind of cute and almost always difficult to figure out what the etymology of them was. Tubby, probably from a tub. Chubby, well, there are various chubs that it might come from. And actually, if I may, because all words are words, there's also one, if you read a lot of old books, you might catch bubby. And bubby is actually a word that's probably more familiar to a lot of us if I may, as as boobs, as this boobs word. Boobs goes back to boobies. And believe it or not, that does not start in porkies or something like that. Boobies goes back to the 1600s. And then boobies goes back to bubbies. And bubbies is a strange word that you see in semi-ancient English documents. And you have to figure out that what they're referring to is, well, you know, what we're talking about. And there are various etymologies of bubby. Some people say that it might be from a Latin word for little girl. And despite how tempting that is because of the way some people call what I'm talking about the girls, I suspect that it's onomatopoeic or maybe just imitative. There are words that are like that. But anyway, hubby, bubby, tubby, chubby, they're always there. And while we're on this subject, which we will leave very quickly, it's time to play another song. One of the stars of Out of This World was the wonderful Charlotte Greenwood. She was a lanky character actress with a wonderful smile. She was from Philadelphia, like me. And she decorates especially a lot of the splashy 20th Century Fox musicals, often with Betty Grable in the 40s. You, you've, If you're listening to this podcast, you have probably seen Charlotte Greenwood, even if you didn't know it. And she had an early talkie career that was different and she did a movie with Eddie Cantor called Palmy Days where she does a number she's a a gym instructor and she's surrounded by all of these Coreens and she's teaching them that you have to keep in shape in order to be attractive and yet very dated message but the song is called Bend Down Sister and not only is it very catchy but if any of you don't have anything else to do go take a look at Bend Down Sister on YouTube and notice certain things about what they could get away with before the production code in terms of shall we say costume in any case this is Bend Down Sister Dietitians and physicians favor this and that one sure way of reducing that fact. You've got to thin down, sister. Thin down, sister. If you want to keep it. No more messing with French dressing. Thin down, sister, and grin. You may flirt with noodle soup. Snip, but don't give in. You've got to thin down, sister. And then, of course, what about human? You're thinking, well, if it was woman, and that's a woe-ish man, then is a human a man who is hue? And actually, no, that resemblance is accidental. Latin humanus, that goes back to the word in Proto-Indo-European that 
father or mother language to almost all the languages of Europe and then quite a few beyond that was spoken in Ukraine, Proto-Indo-European word would have been something like gomon or more properly dogomon. But I'm going to smooth it out here and stick with the gomon part because that's what ended up being left so often in languages that came from this source. The gomon meant roughly earth inhabitant, earthling. And it's interesting. It ends up spilling down into various Indo-European languages. But this gomon came into Old English not as man, but as a word guma. There was a word other than where that meant male person. There was guma. And that solves a little mystery. Have you ever thought about bridegroom? So the man is about to get married, and for some reason the man is referred to with the noun that you usually use for somebody who's off brushing the stinky horses. Why is it a bridegroom? Why is it the groom? Because it started out as bridegoom, and that meant the bride man. But after this guma word dropped away, that became opaque, and the only thing that seemed to make any sense was to call it, for some reason, a bridegroom. So bridegroom is one of those many, many, many words in English that began as a mistake, and now, well, you just have to accept it. We certainly don't want to call a bridegroom a bridegoom. We don't say, where's the goom? That sounds like somebody with some kind of disease or, you know, a, a massive wart on their back or something. It's a bridegroom and we're stuck with it. But really, originally, it was that same root that elsewhere creates human. So we can think of it that way, the bride human. Or what happened when man no longer means just person? Well, we ended up taking person from French, and that's originally from Latin persona, which meant kind of what persona means to us, because we borrowed that from Latin later. Persona meant mask, a characterization, some part that you're playing. French has person. We take person from French. Then person is odd in this same way that I'm using for the theme of this show, with its irregular plural. Why in the world do you have person and then people? Notice persons isn't wrong, but it's very specialized. You have to know how to use it. It's rather literary. If you're talking about more than one person, you're supposed to say people in casual speech. And that comes from a completely different word. That's from populus, the Latin populus, which is like folk. And in fact, our word for people before there was a such thing as that word in our language was folk. And that's how it is in a normal Germanic language. But we took Latin's populus and it became people. And after a while, it oddly took its place as the plural of person. And so we have person and then people. And that becomes a kink that you have to learn in English. And neither one of those are actual English words. And so we ended up borrowing material into our language and using it in a way designed to confuse the innocent. Language will kick your butt. But in terms of this mood, here is another song from Out of This World. This is encores in New York's reenactment of it in better sound many, many, many decades later. This is the wonderful Ken Page playing Jupiter. And this is at the beginning of the show. And Mr. Jupiter has a certain problem. Jupiter, I I, Jupiter, am positively teeming with sex. But I, Jupiter, 
Jupiter would like a brand new dish on my stove. I'm tired of blase goddesses with busting all of the bodices. I crave a merry mortal with a sassy air. So then, there's a bigger picture here. These irregular plurals. Why do we have those? And we don't have that many. There are languages where irregular plurals are the default. We only have a handful, but why do we have these words like men and women? You can see it can happen in various ways. Men is because of e umlaut, and then women is because the word woman broke off in a singular in both senses of the word way. And then you have people for person because of just a random train wreck and how we borrow words from other languages and unfortunately sometimes don't give them back. What about the others? Well, it tends to be these eccentric kind of stories. And so, for example, you have a louse and then you have lice. You have a mouse and then you have mice. Well, then how come you have a house, but you don't have heist? Today, you just have to kind of suck that up. But the reason for that is that earlier English divided its words into three absolutely ridiculous genders. Ridiculous in that words belong to genders really most of the time for no particular reason. So just like in Spanish, a hat is a boy, sombrero, and then the moon is a girl, luna. Well, Old English had that and beyond. You had masculine, feminine, and neuter. What happened was that louse and mouse happened to be feminine words, and feminine words had their plural in this e. And so that e did its e umlaut business. And so the word for louse was loose. Now, you give it a plural marker and you have lucy. So lucy. But if e gets pulled closer to u, then you get e. It's that French e that you have to use where you shape your mouth for loon and say lean, loon, and that's how you say moon in French. And so loose. Lucy. Well, then the E drops off for one thing. So you have just lus. And then if you say lus enough, then you're just saying lease. Now, imagine if you say lease a whole lot, but then you develop what to us would sound like a down home southern accent. So lease, lice. So you're going to give me some lice, 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 lice. That's how you got the plural lice. Moose for mouse went through the exact same process. After a while, you have mice, and then you have mice. Then Gomer Pyle says mice, and then mice, and then mice, and then mice. And so that's how you get mice. That didn't happen with house, which began as hoose, because hoose, even though it sounded like loose and moose, this is beginning to sound like Dr. Seuss, it was neuter. And neuter words in Old English did not take E for the plural. That's not what they did. Sometimes they didn't take anything. Hoose was one of those words. And so you had one house, you had seven house. That's the way it was. Only later that we start tacking the S onto it and saying houses. So there never was an E plural with house. You never said hoosey. And so you don't talk about having heiss. If you had talked about hoosey, then we would say, well, I would love to have two heiss. But we just don't. You know what the plural of hand was? It was handa. You said Honda. You could clap your Honda. 
And you know, that's one of my favorite Gershwin songs. This is from OK in 1926. This is a recording of a show from the 1950s, and the recording has all the hallmarks of the way producers in the 1950s tended to reinterpret shows from the 20s and 30s to sound like the kind of goopy television special 50s. I don't recommend this album in general, but the way they do Clap Your Hands, which was what was called a revivalistic number back in the day, is really very, very good. The singer's name is Alan Case. Listen to the double pianos. This is one of my favorite cuts of music ever. Clap your Honda, so to speak. And this is a 1950s version of a 1926 song. Come on, clap your hand, slap your thigh. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Everybody come along and join the Jubilee. Clap your hand, slap your thigh. Don't you lose time, don't you lose time. Come along and shake your shoes. Time now for you and me. On the sands of time, you are only a pebble. Remember, trouble must be treated just like a rebel. Send him to the devil. Clap your hand, slap your thigh. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Everybody come along and join the Jubilee. Notice how even in the 50s, they could almost jam. They really get a good rhythm going in that cut. And notice he says, come on, you children. There's another one of these plurals. So children, child, why not childs? What's children? Well, it wasn't only children. Something that weird generally was a pattern in the past. And so today it's like the fly caught in the screen. It's dead and it's a corpse. But sorry to say that about children. But back in the day, children was something that was common. There were many English words that had that run ending. It used to be that you talked about if you had two mothers, if that's the way things happened to go, then you had motherin, not mothers. That would have sounded quite crude. Many lambs. Today, one lamb, seven lambs. Is it seven lamb? Seven sheep? I don't know. But back then, it was lambrin. That's how you would have said it. If you had several eggs, you had several egrin. And if you had several calves, you had several Catherine. Those of you who are fluent in Old English because you spoke it at home, yes, that ending was rue in Old English, actually. But to make it more vivid for today, I'm making it seem as if it had already become ren. So actually, it was lambru, egru. But whatever, children was part of a pattern. This mood I'm in maybe seems a little too bubbly. And so here's Charlotte Greenwood again singing with David Burns and Out of This World. This is Cherry Pie's Ought to Be You, the I Hate You version. Listen to them not liking each other to the exact same music. This is clever circa 1950. Shooting pains ought to be you. Adult brains. Ought to be you. Florida when it rains Ought to be you Pinchers in subway trains Ought to be you Withered grass Ought to be you Lethal gas Ought to be you Sour old apple sass Ought to be you Gabby old Balaam's ass Ought to be you You, you look so fearful You give me the joints Kid, if you ain't cheerful I'll give you the whites To continue horse meat steak Ought to be you Pickled snake 
ought to be you. Everything I can't take ought to be you. 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 By the way, you know how you talk about a morn and you can talk about an eve. Well, then where do we get morning and evening? What is all that about? And is there anything more to say about it? Well, you know, there is, and I suspect you'd enjoy it, but you won't know what I said about it unless you subscribe to Slate. Plus, for a nominal fee, not only do you get little tags and the one that I'm doing today, I am using a clip of something, but you also don't have to listen to any ads read by me or anybody else. And this nominal fee helps pay not only for Lexicon Valley, but for the vast array of wonderful podcasts, as opposed to mine, that Slate does. So get Slate Plus and you get a little extra and you don't have to deal with any commercials. You know what this is? This is Mel Torme. And you may think of him as the Velvet Fog singing ballads, etc. But there was actually a kind of a jamming, jazzy Mel Torme. And this is coming home. And it's pretty clear what he's supposed to be coming home for. This is Mel of all people, Torme. Just take a listen. Coming home, baby, now. You know I'm waiting here for you. I'm coming home now, real soon. You've been gone. Coming home, baby, now. You don't know what I'm going through. I'm coming home, I know I'm overdue. Since you went away. Expect me any day now. You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, Go to slate.com slash lexicon valley. If you want to delight your children with a special dessert that no other parents are giving their kids, I suggest that you get them peach jello and not just the peach jello, but sprinkle watermelon pop rocks on top of the peach jello. You will rock your children's world and it cleans up easily. Mike Rolo is, as always, the editor, and I am John McWhorter. I'm coming home, you hear and what I say. And you're coming home. And I never